0: Good morning. Thank you for joining us at home and downstairs in the fellowship hall, and here in the room. Let's turn in our copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter five, verse thirty-one. Matthew chapter five, verse thirty-one through thirty-seven. Uh, we're slowly uh, walking through the Gospel of of Matthew. We've kind of been there a little bit in December. We were there. Uh, actually, four years ago, we started the Sermon on the Mount, and now we've kind of come back and we're here uh, picking up, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount uh, as we started last week. And so we're going to just walk our way through the rest of, of chapter 6 and uh, 7, and we're going to do that the next couple of weeks. Today, uh, kind of what we've said is that what the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to clarify Uh, for the disciples, for us, for the world, uh, who it is that when Jesus has said, the kingdom has come, the reign is in you, if you are my followers, this is the way you should live. This is what makes the difference of kingdom citizenship and worldly citizenship. And he says that this is the way that we're supposed to live. And so today, as we looked last week uh, about uh, how we should protect our eyes, this week we're going to look at how we should keep our word, keep our word. So let's read together, beginning in verse 31 and read to verse 37. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven or because it is God's throne, or by earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king, do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, we seek your wisdom, not for the sake of fear but we do so in the sake of knowing you have crucified your son for our sin. And those of us who have re- been redeemed by grace, now what? To follow him and be like him and worship you and bring your glory and honor to this world. God, help us to be faithful. And as we come to your word this morning, may we be changed. May we be more faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, listening to kids or listening as they talk about promising something to one another, you know that they, whether they really mean it or not, they might say, you know, uh, they promise something to someone, they'll say, you know, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Or, you know, I would say back to someone, if you're lying, you're going to be crying. Uh, of course, you know, the the ever faithful true promise you know cross my heart hope to die stick a needle in my eye you know it's serious business when that promise has been laid down you know that there is a matter of promises but unfortunately we know in the midst of those promises a lot of times we like to have an escape route an escape hatch or a way that we can make a promise but we won't really be held to it right? So we know we said something to someone, uh, little kids that is, and they've said, well, we didn't pinky promise on that. Or, you know, I said that and I had my fingers crossed behind my back. Or if, you know, you got really desperate, you said, my finger, my, my, uh, my shoelaces were crossed, right? So you've, you've found a way to get out of the promise. Well, Jesus clearly teaches That people of God, people who have followed Christ, people who have been saved by grace, must keep our word. Now, as we first glance, you might look at this text and say that they absolutely have nothing to do with each other. Verses 31 to 33 or t- thirty-two don't have anything to do with thirty-three through thirty-seven, but I would beg to differ because ultimately the message here, or the the purpose here, is to say what will we do to keep our word, people of integrity? How will we keep our word when the promise is not easy, when it's not fulfilling, when it's not interesting to me? Jesus is saying that we are to be people. Of our word, that we are to keep our commitments and keep our word. And that is what Jesus is saying. In an age, in a time where many people don't keep their commitment to the church, when people don't commit, Take, keep their commitment to one another, when people easily renege uh, on, their, on what they've said to someone to say, well, hey, excuse me, something came up when we know really you just wanted to watch the next show on your, on your streaming service. There's a lot of reasons and a lot of ways, underhandedly, that we don't keep our word. But Jesus reminds us in our text that if we give our word, we must follow through, especially When it comes to the word of God and using his name. In this passage, there are three instances in which we keep our word. If you're following along here, uh, texting or something in your phone to keep notes or writing. Number one, keep your word to the Lord. This is a simple matter. If you're going to keep your word, you must keep your word to the Lord. So what we're going to do is sort of start at the end and kind of go back to the beginning and then come back to the end. The principle here, summarized in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, even by heaven, because it is God's throne or by earth, because it's God's footstool or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great King. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Jesus is st- speaking here that the supreme reason we must keep our word is because we must keep our word to the Lord. Every bit of this is fashioned to help us see, first, that we keep our oaths to the Lord, but but also every step. If you were to keep an oath to heaven, if you were to say, by heaven's name, I'm going to do such and such. Well, that's That's uh, God's throne. So God is in the mixture there. You have already given your word. God is in the presence there. You see, Jesus was actually weighing in on a Jewish, uh, kind of a Jewish disagreement in the schools of rabbis. There's two different schools of rabbis based on the Mishnah, which is the collection of Jewish laws, which were a superseding or above and beyond Moses' law to give instructions how to live. And one group of, of Jewish teachers believed that if you were to give an oath or to give a word, that you could give your oath to many different things and you could break your oath. But if you gave your oath to God then you shouldn't break the oath so there was varying degrees of ways that you could promise something if you really meant it you could say I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, promise to the Lord and uh, then you have to keep it but if you promise to you know uh, on the name of Jerusalem or in the name of whatever you could possibly break that and not be in sin well here's the thing the Jewish rabbis at the time dutifully knew that keeping your oath to God was important. That if you were to say something and make an oath to God, that that was vital and important uh, unto the Lord. Exodus 27 says, Do not use, misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And Leviticus 19.12, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. So they understood that. They rightfully had that that belief or that truth that, that swearing an oath to God is unbreakable and if you do, is sinful. But they tried to make a hedge or escape hatches by saying that all these other things that you make an oath by, that you could break and not be in sin. So Jesus clarified that we must not take any oath and try to break it Because ultimately, God is in all of them. God witnesses every promise we make, and there's no special wording that can make them less or more binding. Jesus says, quit playing games. Keep all your promises. There are no loopholes because God is present in every area of our life. Therefore, God's people, we represent him And therefore should not break us because we're as if we're breaking them to God. So, as my grandfather used to always say, you know, uh, Sean, Dobbins men are word. If we're going to go, if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do something. Uh, And I asked him one day, why are we going over here to do this for your friend? Uh, And this is taking time out of our day. You can do it another day. He said, because, son... We do what we say. We do what we've said because it reflects on our name. Brothers and sisters, it's the same way that when we say something and we say we're going to do something, it is a reflection on God. And later on in the text, it says in verse 37, anything more than this is from the evil one. You see, if we are Christians and we say that we are followers of God, we are following the God of truth. He has no mixture of error. He never reneges on his promises. He is the one in which truth all stands upon. And so if we are people who are liars or deceivers or we say we're going to do something and we don't, we are actually saying we are more in the camp of Satan than we are in the camp of God. Who is Satan? He is the great deceiver. He is the evil one. He spins lies. So we must be cautious when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Because we are thankful that we serve a God who, who never breaks his promises. And this is the truth that we keep our word unto the Lord. Because God himself has given great word and never broken his promise to us. God has given many promises to his word. He says that he will never send another universal but then he says he's going to send a redeemer and then he says he's going to raise his son from the dead and then he promises that those of us who are by faith and repentance uh, uh, connected to Christ we too will be raised in that day hallelujah we hold truth to what he says and we know he's a promise-keeping God so if we are his we must be promise-keeping people Therefore, as Christians, we must keep our word to keep our word to God. Now, backing up a bit in the text, number two, we must then, if we keep our word in all things, then we must, number two, keep our word or keep your word in your covenant marriage. Keep your word in your covenant marriage. So let me just remind you what it said in verse 31 and verse 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a special case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus' sermon was a sermon of logic. And it it sort of makes sense, don't you think, that when last week, or in the the previous section, he said, hey... Keep, don't lust because if you lust, that's adultery. And then he has keep your word and sandwiched in between it, you need to keep the commitment of your covenant marriage. It all goes together. And Jesus is saying here that we must keep our word. Now I understand that there is no unhappiness so poignant and so hard and so tragic than the unhappiness that comes from a failed or troubled marriage. I understand that there is a a, a struggle, bitterness and despair that grows when someone's marriage falls apart or falls on the rocks. So I speak with sensitivity, knowing that there's much pain and much suffering, and and I don't want to tear open any wounds, but I also understand that what Jesus said is God's word, and is sufficient and we must know it and therefore it's intrinsically good good for us as individuals and good for society so we must understand what it means to us so what is jesus saying well first jesus quotes when he says in verse 31 you've heard it say well he's quoting uh, in a way deuteronomy 24 1 which says if a man marries a woman And she must become displeasing to him, uh, sorry, but she becomes displeasing to him because she finds something indecent about her. He may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Now, what Jesus is doing is addressing a very relevant topic to then and very much a relevant topic to today. Now, let me just speak to what he was speaking to in the moment Again, he was speaking to the two different separate teachings of the rabbis there. And they went by the Mishnah, the law above the law of Moses to help them understand how to live. Well, again, the one school of thought of the Mishnah of the, of the certain rabbis would say kind of open the door for when uh, Deuteronomy 24 said if you find something indecent about her... They were trying to extrapolate what indecent meant. So what they said, they had a whole list of ways that it could mean to be indecent so that a divorce certificate for be granted. Now let me tell you, some of them were what Jesus says here, but ultimately it kind of became almost a free-for-all very very common to what has happened in the last few decades when it came to no-fault divorce. There was a certificate be granted if your wife had a pug nose, it could be granted. If you found that your wife had bony ankles, they could be granted. If your wife had two different color eyes, a certificate of divorce could be granted. But what jesus was saying here is that there this is a cavalier attitude to say that you could break your covenant marriage over something so insignificant the pharisees regarded divorce lightly jesus took it so seriously that with only one exception he called all remarriage after divorce adultery this is what jesus says here now what did jesus base it on He's basing it on a covenant that happens between a man and a woman, but somebody else, everybody, who is that? God. There is a third party in the covenant marriage. That, that covenant bond happens and continues on so that when there is a oath taken, that oath is to taken not between two people, but three people. And what Jesus is saying here is that any Uh, any sense of divorce that is outside this boundary of sexual immorality, or I would even later say uh, divorce, I'm sorry, uh, 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 abuse or danger or uh, um, abandonment uh, later on in his teachings, is ultimately adultery. Why? Because in any other way, the covenant is continuing. So if one party or one person says, I'm out, guess what? There's still a circle unbroken. And so when the next marriage happens, that's adultery. You're still sleeping or you're with another person's spouse. And so what Jesus was saying here is the Pharisees were preoccupied with the grounds for divorce. But Jesus was preoccupied with the institution of marriage. Jesus was trying to say that there was something more vital here than it's that is just uh, two people together. It is a covenant commitment between two people and the Lord. Jesus saw this as a high view of marriage and God's design and God's covenant word. How do we know this? Well, Jesus, thankfully, doesn't speak on this in two verses. But lots of verses. And later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So there is no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, that's just kind of the heart of his message, and he goes on to actually repeat what he said here and extrapolate just a little bit more there in Matthew chapter 19. So what Jesus says was there is an exception based on sexual immorality. It was never to lower the standard of marriage, but instead to raise the standard of marriage. That divorce may be granted uh, in this cases of sexual immorality, but un- uh, but to understand that this is to be the exception, not the rule. That a covenant marriage is designed before God to be a covenant that displays his goodness and grace and ultimately a a picture of his redemption. That the bridegroom has bought the bride, that Jesus has paid the price for his death on the cross, that his blood was spilt so that he might take his bride, the church, and be redeemed forever and be united forever in heaven. This picture not just displays the glory of God, but the glory of grace in salvation. And therefore, it is this biblical perspective that we understand that God's word and marriage and love are for the tough-minded that marriage is commitment and far from backing out when the going gets tough. Marriage partners are to be the sort out their difficulties in light of Scripture. Unfortunately, today, the view of love has become a mixture of desire and vague sentimentality. This mixture of provisional sexual union to be terminated whenever love or attraction dissolves. But the Scriptures tell us that we as covenant members of a marriage, should be always improving our relationship, working away at it, precisely because we have vowed to God and man to each other that, in, uh, that we love each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, no, until death separates them, that we are together. I think it's Tim Keller says in his wonderful, amazing book about marriage, that the vows are not for the good times it's for the hard times when we're happy and we're richer and things are healthy boy it's easy to be committed to one another right but when worse and poor and sickness it's hard and that's when we go back to that commitment to God and to one another Love is determined commitment to seek the other's good, cherish, shelter, nurture, edify, and show patience with one another's partner. And it works because of a deep rooted obedience to God and brings with it the emotional and sentimental aspects of it as well. Isn't it fitting, I believe, that Jesus speaks about marriage in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount that it even begins with the Beatitudes? that speaks about being low and it speaks about being humble and speaks about what love really looks like. Actually, Chrysostom, uh, an ancient church father, observed, For he says this, For he that is meek and a peacemaker and poor in spirit and merciful, how shall he cast out his wife? He that is used to reconcile others, how shall he be at variance with her? that is his own. You see, it is this understanding of Christian love and commitment and, 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 uh, and humility that we work to love each other. And, it, and and I know that many people quickly write to this and say, well, okay, well, I've, I have divorced and I have not followed God's rule in this. And what should I do? Should I Should I divorce my spouse now and should I run back to to my other spouse? Well, no, you have committed adultery. But what you do now is you repent and wash yourself in the forgiveness of God's blood. You repent to your former spouse. You repent to the Lord. You, You make amends now and you continue on faithfully now in the marriage that you're in. You don't commit two more sins to make up for the sins of the past. You see, when Jesus speaks about keeping our word, it reflects on us as we keep our words, even in our marriages. So, brothers and sisters, fight for your marriage. Fight for the love of each other. Keep your covenant word to God. And number three, because we need to keep your word to others. Keep your word to others. Verse 37, but let your yes mean yes and you're no me know. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You see, in many cases the Pharisees had no intention of keeping their word. they were just wanting ways to play a game. To say that they were more holy than they really were. to, To seem better than they really were. To seem people of integrity than they really were. But Jesus counters with the thought that our word ought to be our bond. That when we make a commitment, we fulfill our commitment because our word should matter. In Numbers 32, uh, the Old Testament says when a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under an obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. Now, there's many reasons that we don't keep our word. One, many people don't keep their word to be manipulative. People make promises never really intending to keep them to get something out of someone or in return. I mean, I can't help but think that this is basically the politician's way of life, (laughs) promise something to get your vote in return. But in the same way, we know that many times we are manipulative to say one thing just to get what we want. Many times we are self-centered. That's the reason why we don't keep our promises. We keep our promises because we want to get somebody off our back. We want them to believe that we are more than what we really are, Making oaths can be self-centered, but except, except for that it's pride. It's rather than swelling, uh, swearing to your word just to make yourself look good. But many ways we make false promises and we're disrespectful for others. By not keeping our promises or commitments, we are in essence dissing or disrespecting others. But God has called us first and foremost to love others. At its basic foundation, when we don't keep our word or we don't lie, we are guilty in not loving someone. So the real question here is truthfulness. For a follower of Jesus, it is simply to just say yes and mean yes and no to mean no. Many times even, maybe we even do it with this in mind. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings to say no. But brothers and sisters, it's better to say no and let and trust God to work things out than to break your word. Christians claim to have truth and to follow him who is the truth. So in our conversations, therefore, we, truth must be our watchword. Many of us stoop to telling stories with a, with a reprehensible slant or to tell a story that puts us in a more glamorous light. How many of us will say that we'll do things and instead renege on our responsibilities because it is personally inconvenient for us to do them? I'm not talking about an honest mistake, but deceit. Our Lord insists that scriptures point towards truthfulness and all who submit to his authority should only be speaking the truth. Now there's a children's book that I once read and the book is by by Dr. Seuss, and it's, the book's called Horton Hatches the Egg. And the story is kind of a fictitious, a, a bird who has, has an egg, and she wants to go on vacation. And so she tricks Horton, who is an elephant, full-size elephant, to sit on this egg while she goes uh, to the beach. She, and she promises she won't be gone very long. Now, she goes on a long 11th month vacation now during this 11th month vacation horton stays true to his word all 11 months he finds a way through all sorts of ups and downs to stay nesting on this egg saying this phrase over and over again i meant what i said i said what i meant an elephant's faithful one a hundred percent now when this bird maisie comes back she wants the egg and Horton's like, wait a second, you know, I've done all this 11-month work. While they're there, the, his faithfulness, the, the egg hatches, and it's an elephant bird. His faithfulness has turned this bird and changed this bird as his true parent. You know, many of us, we live in a world of lazy mazies, the bird. But God is calling us to be truthful to our word. And that when we're truthful, and when, we're, when we have integrity, and when we have character, it does change people around us. When we show ourselves as people of character, people are more likely to come to us for spiritual matters. People are more likely to understand when we say, God said this, and God's done this, and God's doing this in my life, that they understand, oh, this person really means what he says, When you share the gospel, there is a foundation of truth that we have put, that we have built in the integrity of what we say. Now, we know we are sinners, and that's part of the gospel, right? We are sinners. We mess up. We admit already we're hypocrites. We know it. We fail over and over and over again, even after our salvation. But we know the difference of us as believers is this. When we sin, we seek forgiveness. We repent and we want to change and not stay that way. But we need to be people of truth. How can you share the truth about Jesus if someone can't know if they trust your word or not? Brothers or sisters, Jesus has taught us in his word today. This is the way. Keep your word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning to remind us of this important truth and that you must speak to our hearts. There are many people in this room, there are times that I have failed in this regard. There are times that some of us have have been so trapped in, in misleading that some people don't know whether to trust us for anything. God, may that never be about us. May we understand that truth matters and the word, our word matters and our oaths matter. God, I pray this morning as we help to understand this, that this, this helps us to see even more the value and the integrity and the commitment of marriage. I pray for those who are struggling in their marriages, and I pray, God, that they would seek guidance in their word and from other believers that they would seek truth and find love at the center of their covenant commitment to you. And God, this morning, I pray that we all rest in this, this thankful promise that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, that in our failures, in our mistakes, in our history, in our life, we are sinners, and that you have made a way for us to be forgiven through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that there is someone here that does not know this life-giving, burden-lifting truth, that by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, they may be saved, that today would be the day of their salvation, and that those of us who have been saved, that we would live keeping our word. In Jesus' name, amen.